Well, babe, we did it. We wrote a book. Yeah, man, it's it's actually surreal to even think about uh, that we wrote a book, had a baby, got married, not necessarily in that order. <laughs> <laughs> but the book is now available yeah. for pre-order, and we're so excited to share it with you. Oh, so looking forward to getting this book into your hands, to be in dialogue and conversation with all of you as we continue to liberate love from old imprints and codependent dynamics that keep us small, stuck, and stagnant. Yeah, you know, no matter your relationship status, this book walks you through what shaped you, why do you do what you do in relationship. It dives deep into your relationship blueprint, attachment styles, and most importantly, which is different than every other book that's ever covered codependency in the past, we explore the role of the nervous system in that. And the book is called Liberated Love. Yeah. Release your codependent patterns and create the love you desire. Go to createthelove.com slash liberated love to order your copy now. That's createthelove.com slash liberated love and get that pre-order in and you'll be able to get a free download of a meditation we created and a workbook that goes along with it. Much love and appreciation for your support. Much love. Thank you. Hi, I'm Mark Groves. I'm a human connection specialist and founder of Create the Love. At an early point in my life, I became obsessed with understanding relationships, the intricacies of how people connect. And through this exploration, I have created a life and a business dedicated to learning out loud and exploring how we interact with each other and the world. This podcast brings the world's top thought leaders, spiritual luminaries, physicians, scientists, researchers, best-selling authors, and health and wellness experts under one roof to discuss the good, the bad, the messy, and of course, the beautiful parts of the human experience. Welcome to the Mark Groves Podcast. I can't wait to dive in with you. For the majority of my adult life, I have been searching for a tasty protein powder. I've been searching for an amazing protein powder, one that doesn't just add protein to my shake, but like adds flavor and creaminess and deliciousness and all those things. And I'm happy to have found that in the Organifi Complete Protein. It's organic, it's vegan, it's also a multivitamin with digestive enzymes, so I kind of like that stack. 20 grams of protein, all in one delicious, easy-to-mix shake. It's got seven superfoods, it's 100% organic, no soy, no whey, and it helps curve cravings. It contains half of the daily recommended value of selenium, vitamin C, D, E, A, and 35% of your daily iron. And all of these vitamins are from whole foods. And so it's got pea protein, quinoa, pumpkin seed, coconut, which contains MCTs, vanilla bean for the vanilla flavor, five different digestive enzymes in every serving. It helps you digest your food, prevent the bloating and the gas, and absorb more of the nutrients that you eat throughout your day. So if you want to save 25%, they have both chocolate and vanilla, go to Organifi.com slash create the love and Organifi is spelt O-R-G-A-N-I-F-I dot com. So go check it out. I'm excited to finally have Jace, Emily, and Dedeker on the podcast. Welcome. Thanks for having Thank us. You so Thank much. you so much. so much for having us. This is the first time I've ever had a foursome on a podcast, too. So this <laughs> Whoa, feels, yeah, this you're really first, but hopefully opening not up your the robes for your right. listeners. I feel like I'm really stretching out <laughs> here. Um, so I, when I was reading up, because I've heard you speak on 
mine when you guys did mm-hmm. the session, which was really incredible. And when I was looking up on your website, just to look about your podcast and stuff and just get some more info, I really was struck by uh, reading, look into the future of relationships, not maintaining the status quo of the past, and that there's a value of ethics over tradition and a belief that a healthy world is one where everyone has agency in their relationships. I couldn't agree more. Like I, I thought that was such a beautiful articulation of that ethics not being monogamy, but ethics being, you know, maybe truth to oneself or honoring oneself. So I'm curious, just because uh, you all together came up with this language, I'm curious what that means for you and why I was passionate for you. Like a lot of my, my work was born from the fact that I felt no one was telling the truth about love and relationships. Mm. And, and so I'm really curious about your experience there. Yeah, I think for us, it grew out of this sense that in relationships, a lot of us just kind of grow up with this one way that it looks. And it's just, okay, well, we just go on this one trajectory. And that's changed a little bit over the years, right? It's less of like get married and then have kids. And now it's more of like move in together, then maybe eventually have kids and then maybe get married or, you know, it can, it can change a little yeah. bit, but you can change the order. Right. But it's still kind of those basic steps and that you can only be with one person and, you know, any kind of interest you might have in someone else or anything that doesn't fit that bubble. Like we want to get married, but don't want to live together or whatever. It's just, these are not options. There's, if you're doing that, it means something's wrong with you or something's wrong with your relationship. And so it's about that. It's saying rather than just saying, well, I'm going to do it this way because that's what people have done before. And instead looking at what is more honest, what is more true, what is more ethical, and what is it, what is the way to do it so that everyone in the relationship feels empowered to be able to speak up and, and get what they want instead of just going, well, I guess this is my role because that's uh, the world I was born into. And specifically speaking to that bit about looking to the future of relationships, that's not to say that we think monogamy is dead and non-monogamy is the future. Mm -hmm. It's very far from that. You know, when I think about the future of relationships, I think about us casting off a lot of the old models that just aren't working for our culture anymore. You know, so for instance, I think we're seeing the fact that a really harsh gender binary isn't working for a lot of people in our culture anymore. And so now there's really a blossoming of a lot of different pockets of identity within that. And I think the same thing with relationships where it's even beyond, are you monogamous or non-monogamous, but there's so much in between. So like we're also speaking to people who want to have good co-parenting relationships, right? Mm. You know, where maybe I'm decoupling or divorcing, but I don't want it to be all characterized by broken plates and manipulating my kid in between the two of us or people who want to have maybe a long-term queer platonic roommate relationship where maybe I want to like go and date and have fun and have sex, but maybe I don't want to cohabit with the person that I'm dating. And I'm actually really love my roommate because they're my best friend. Like, I think it's speaking to the fact that what we're seeing now and what we're going to be seeing more of in the future is just a wider variety of what's considered socially acceptable human relationship because we need all kinds, not just marriage and monogamy and nuclear family. The three of us from a very personal level came from homes that were fairly traditional in some ways, but not traditional in others. I mean, I'm a product of parents who had an affair and then decided to have me. And I think that the three of us have seen how a lot of very traditional normative relationships 
tended to not work in our lives. And it caused us to potentially want to change that narrative, to to look at what can be better, what can serve us in a way that these relationships perhaps didn't serve our parents, or we see other people in our lives that those relationships didn't serve them either. And I think initially, so so many people's sort of uh, trajectory when they get into non-monogamy is they feel like they found the thing that works and that that means that you know monogamy is not okay. And yet I yeah. think what the three of us have found over time is that it's a little bit more nuanced than that. You can get to a place where maybe if you're very uh, specific about what type of monogamy you want to have, then it can work for you or whatever your relationship looks like, that it's not just simply one or the other or one thing only that is, you know, the correct way to do something. So I I love how, yeah, that narrative is changing so much. And I hope that we can continue that that journey with all of our listeners as well. Yeah, I've long thought that there's probably as many successful monogamous relationships as there are polyamorous because all of them require this incredible level of communication. And there's something fascinating about monogamy and inheriting that as a framework of relationship. And then us not really need thinking that we even need tools. Like there's this commitment to forever when we get married, I vow to death to us part, all that kind of stuff. But yet there's just this assumption that no one's going to go anywhere. And I think because of that, uh, we haven't built the tools that are necessary. And, you know, in the exploration of even when you say the type of monogamy, I'm sure for the listener, it's like, wait, what types of monogamy? <laughs> like, so maybe you could break down for our, for us and for me and the listeners, maybe how you might define these things. And because uh, I'm sure this, it, it's like with anything, when you get so much choice, how do you even, where do you fucking start? You know, it's like a cold stone and you're just overwhelmed by all the ice cream flavors. <laughs> yeah. I think uh, when you're looking at monogamy specifically, there is sort of this inherent thing that we're fed that monogamy will look in X, you know, X way. And that causes many relationships to get in a really big pickle, I think, because, for instance, monogamy may look to someone like you're never allowed to watch porn or you're never, you know, supposed to do anything or or speak even of somebody that you might find attractive to your partner because that might be considered cheating or something along those lines. Whereas other couples or another person within a couple, for instance, might say, okay, I, you know, I'm totally fine with you looking at other people or talking about how attractive you find someone. So, you know, there are little nuances even within monogamy and some people, I mean, Dan Savage coined the term monogamish. Some people may find that being in a less strict relationship between two people and being able to explore sexually or emotionally with others is totally fine for their specific type of monogamy. And also polyamory or non-monogamy goes into a huge gamut of different experiences as well. So Emily teased also the fact that within the spectrum of monogamy, there's all these nuances. But then, of course, once you continue along the spectrum into non-monogamy, underneath that umbrella, there's also all the flavors of the rainbow, all the Skittles you can imagine. You know, So that's everything from people who 
might identify as swingers. So maybe we're essentially emotionally monogamous. Maybe we cohabit. Maybe we even have kids together. But maybe a couple times a year we go wild at a swingers resort. Or maybe every weekend we're at a play party of some kind and it's mostly just a sexual thing. Non-monogamy also covers the umbrella of maybe people who are operating under, let's call it a hall pass agreement where it's like, okay, maybe once a year, if you got drunk at a party, made out with somebody and hooked up, like that's fine. You know, just tell me about it and we'll be careful. And then that's okay. All the way to um, what's coined as kitchen table polyamory. The idea I have multiple partners and everyone's aware of it and everyone knows each other and everyone is friendly enough that we can sit at the kitchen table together and have coffee on the weekends if we want to all the way up to, um, you know, like group relationships, which are not necessarily the norm, like the media tends to really seize on like the triads and the quads and get really excited of like, ooh, this is what polyamory is. And (laughs) that's not necessarily the case, but they do exist. So there's all kinds of different flavors of the rainbow. I work with non-monogamous clients specifically, and every single time I think that I've seen every possible way that people can be practicing (laughs) non-monogamy, something else comes out of the woodworks. And I'm just amazed every time. The creativity of humans, right? Like, <laughs> welcome. Truly we'll get, creativity and adaptability. Well, and what a beautiful thing to think about that your relationship, even if you choose whatever, uh, you know, in this context, you choose monogamy in its traditional sense, that you did it from a blank canvas or that you chose monogamish or whatever. The kitchen table one, I got to say, that's got to be a challenge to be able to all sit down, but it shows you. Um, how much inner work and even bringing the feelings forward of how challenging that kitchen table coffee might be, or even that as a boundary, you don't feel comfortable, like all of those that everything's on the table to discuss. Yeah, definitely. I know for myself, because I mean, my own relationship journey, I was not very intentional with most of this, right? Like I think like most of us just receiving messages from the culture, which for me, the culture that I was raised in was conservative evangelical Christian. So that has a very particular idea about how relationships and sexuality should go. And then when I actually broke out of that and started exploring non-monogamy, you know, there was still so many layers to peel away because even then it was kind of like, okay, sure, non-monogamy is cool, but the only way this is going to work is if like we never meet anybody that we're sleeping with, right? Like that's just ridiculous. (laughs) Who would even think about that? Come on. All the way to several years later where now I'm kind of the opposite of like if I for some reason can't meet my partner's other partner, that makes me feel weird Mm -hmm. and a little uncomfortable. Um, And again, I think like you spoke to, it is different strokes for different folks. People have different levels of comfort with it, but yeah, I don't know. It is just really, really fascinating, all the really unique relationships that can come about. I mean, the polyamorous community coined the term metamor. That's the word for your partner's other partner, metamor. you know? Mm-hmm. And so yeah. a metamor, yeah. So I, I like to think of metamors. I think Jace often compares metamors to, it's almost like an in-law relationship where you didn't get to pick these people necessarily, but you could have a really wonderful, loving relationship with your in-laws. You could have a really terrible, toxic relationship with your in-laws. You could have a really neutral kind of acquaintance level relationship with your in-laws. And the way people interact with their metamors is very much the same. I'd like to know the etymology of metamor. Is it like more like... A more like love? More shape? Amor. Yeah. Is it like morphous shape? So it's no, like, metamor. Yeah. Like amor, like love. Metam- Oh, like amor. Amor, yeah, ah. exactly. Yeah, and then, I believe so, yeah. And then meta, meaning kind of 
like well like close to or what is yeah i don't know <laughs> sort of means like adjacent know, meaning that kind of like facebook means it right yeah, yeah there exactly you go. it means like your virtual your partner's other virtual partners <laughs> yeah once we what start dating in the metaverse everyone will be a metamore oh boy <laughs> yeah <laughs> yeah we're all our anime characters right when he's like uh-huh. oh build a beautiful world i'm like build one here yeah like do exactly. it fucking here <laughs> <laughs> we haven't even done it here why are we doing it on there right right um, but but yeah but meta meaning beyond so not like beyond or kind of overarching so it's yeah it's a, describing they're not your relationship but they're also in love with someone that you're in love with and so you have this kind of different type of relationship so that's the the term we have for it that's fascinating and in a like in some relationships they would have like a primary right like someone mm-hmm. that they're mainly in a relationship with and then perhaps like more uh metamorphs metamorphs i'm thinking like offshoots but i think metamorph sounds uh more humanizing and yeah so maybe we could talk more about all of this because to me i'm like lost in a sea of possibility sure i mean it's it is overwhelming how much terminology there is to learn for sure i think that's that's fair um maybe just to clarify a couple things so one is that my metamorph is not someone that i'm dating this is someone who's just dating my partner so if Dedeker okay. is dating someone else, that would be my metamor because I'm dating Dedeker. But I'm not necessarily in any kind of romantic or sexual relationship with that other person. And then what you were talking about of kind of some people having uh, like a primary, secondary, maybe even tertiary type relationships. That's one of those things that's been really interesting to see how it's changed in the way that the polyamorous community online talks about and thinks about those things. In the early days, that was the norm because it kind of came from like the swinger community. And so it was this like, you got to have a primary. You're probably married to this person. You probably live with them. And then anyone else has to be secondary because we need to protect this first relationship from those. And then over time, people started to see like, hey, that's actually kind of sets up some problematic dynamics and actually can create more problems when you're trying to kind of artificially limit other relationships or protect a relationship simply because it existed first, not because of Mm. anything else. Again, kind of going with tradition over ethics and how you treat people is how people were doing back then. And so over time, that's changed to where people started to recognize, well, sometimes you do have a primary partner just because maybe you do live with that person or you have kids with them. And so you're more entwined with that person than you are with someone else. But it's not, that doesn't have to mean that I'm forcing that secondary to obey some kind of rules that the primary partner has Mm -hmm. made. It might just be a way of describing. And so these terms came up of prescriptive and descriptive hierarchy. And prescriptive is that like, I've decided this is primary and this is secondary and therefore I'm going to put things in place to try to force those to stay that way. And then descriptive hierarchy is where we're not forcing those to stay that way, but I still might use the term primary or secondary just for convenience to help quickly convey to you how intertwined my, my life is with this person versus this other one. It shows you how important language is. For sure. Important Very language sure. is. <laughs> important communication. And it, <laughs> yes. And it, and it's also, it's, you know, evolved even beyond that to now there's a lot of people in the community very um, openly practicing non-hierarchical, non-monogamy or non-hierarchical polyamory. The idea that I'm not going to arbitrarily place one particular relationship 
over the other. And now that doesn't necessarily mean everyone's equal. If I go on a first date with this person, I'm just as likely to give the keys to my house to them as I am to the person <laughs> I've been in a relationship yeah. for five years. But it, it's kind of the idea of, you know, trying to avoid these arbitrary power structures. Because I think what yeah. Jace is speaking to, a lot of very traditional hierarchical non-monogamy you know, often comes with some weird things like the primary partner is allowed to veto anybody that you're dating. And so if I tell you I'm not comfortable with you dating that person, you have to stop. And I have to say, like, for some people that works, some people are very happy to enter into those kind of agreements, like that's okay. But I just I think we've seen this evolving and growing and changing community that's also trying to recognize there are some maybe better ways to do this that are a little bit more ethical, a little bit more considerate of everyone being a human being, not just the primary partner. I think of the challenge from an attachment, like traditional attachment perspective of really having to navigate almost like your biological drive that is often unconscious to want to recognize like, is this relationship safe? And then how do I define safety? And is this relationship, like, will they be there if I need them? Which is sort of what we're doing as children constantly, right? So I'm Really curious. I know there's a book on attachment theory and polyamory. I haven't read it. I forget what it's called. Polysecure by Jessica okay, Fern. Yeah. It's phenomenal. And I've we've heard had her. That. Yeah, we've had her on our podcast as well. Um, but yeah, speaking to that, you you just touched on safety. And something that we discuss sometimes within the community is how you have multiple friends or you have multiple people in your life who are extremely important to you. And that, you know, maybe importance might be might feel different or, you know, feel hierarchical in some way with the person that you are living with or cohabiting or have been in a relationship with for a long period of time. But, you know, I think that so many of us try to kind of step away from that idea that I'm going to place more importance on this person or on that person simply because that's what our society tells us to do. There's a variety of ways and inner work to do, I think, when you get into relationships like this, discussing your own personal safety and what that, like you said, what that means to you and what that means to the people yeah. in which you're entwined. Uh, I think, yeah, attachment style, that is really interesting. We've we've discussed that so much on the podcast, how that so sort of, yes, so constantly. It's very hot right now. Uh, but yeah, just how that specifically you know, it, it, what it means for you within the relationships that you are choosing to be a part of and how much it matters or not and how it can change between one partner or not. You may be very secure with one partner and yet find yourself in an anxious attachment or disorganized with another. And so, yes, I mean, when you add people, you add more and more possibility for nuance to be there and different potential issues with one person or another, but also exploring more possibility for who you are and who you can be in these relationships. And and you're speaking to safety. And I think it exploring this topic for so, so many years and working with people and hearing so many people's stories, it really shows there's also a huge spectrum in what actually makes people feel safe and secure in relationship. Like that's a very, very highly individualized mm -hmm. thing. And we are a little bit disserved kind of to go back to us all being given this one model for relationship, we are a little bit disserved by being told this is how you feel safe right. and take it or leave it. You know, just speaking or just thinking about my own life experience, you know, my monogamous days when I was told like monogamy and commitment, that's what's safe. 
clearly right. monogamy is not the thing or a promise of monogamy does not prevent people from hurting you yeah. and does not prevent people from leaving yeah. you and does not prevent people from cheating on you. Right. So I learned fairly early on, like, okay, well just monogamy on its own is not the thing that's going to make me feel safe all the time. And then when I was exploring non-monogamy, I also very early on was like, okay, well, as long as I'm definitely the primary, like the prescribed primary, <laughs> yeah. as long as I'm definitely the queen bee, the number one, that's how I'm going to feel safe. As long as I know everyone else is less than and can't threaten me, then I'll feel safe. And so then I got there in the relationship that I was in and then quickly realized, oh, once you're on top of the boulder, you got to defend your title. It's still, you can still feel threatened, right? You can still feel like, oh gosh, my partner could choose a different primary or whatever. And so I know in my personal experience, it's it's has been a little bit of this intensive stripping away of like, what actually yeah. makes you feel secure in relationship? And it starts to go beyond the form and it starts to go beyond just kind of what my partner promises and goes into how my partner or partners behave with me. Do they have behaviors? Are they taking actions that help me feel safe and secure and loved and cherished? And it's like, that's the real meat of all of this, regardless of whether you're monogamous or polyamorous. And I think to tie all that together, something that has become more and more apparent over the years of doing this show and you know talking to tons of people around the world about their relationships is that what we can sometimes think of is like oh well this part of me is just part of who I am this is like biological like you, you mentioned that word it's like this is just like mm -hmm. I'm, I'm wired this way that you might find a year or two later it's like wow I'm that was so not true at all but I yeah. thought it was and that's something that as humans is so tricky is how to tease apart what is some kind of innate biological thing and what's something we've learned because our training and it can change over time right and our, right. our training over the is, course of our lives is so deep that we just we live in that water and we're not aware of it and so it's like we can just think like oh well this is a natural part of me and it might not be so it is this really interesting unlearning process that can be really freeing and, and empowering. At least that's been my experience. And and I know for Dedeker and Emily, we've expressed similar things of just being freed from some of these limitations we thought were natural parts of us that were actually just things we had learned. Yeah, it shows how important just question, just being willing to question, even, you know, I was mindful to use the word like perceived safety, mm. like how would mm -hmm. I define it? Mm. Because, you know, as you were saying, Dedeker, like you might chase commitment to avoid getting hurt even and you think the commitment is going to be the solution when really what it sounds to me like maybe the path or the desire or the maybe idealized place to get to not relationally but with the self is do i trust myself am i safe with myself do i have my own back do i have boundaries am i paying attention to the somatic signals you know and so much of what i see in relationship and i'm sure you do too is that people try to meet their needs, like the need for quote unquote safety or the need for pri being prioritized or whatever it is by meeting wants, like meeting a want, like getting someone to add. I don't think you can do Facebook statuses anymore, but I'm, <laughs> right. I'm showing my age, the relationship statuses. But like if they say they're in a relationship with me, then it'll meet my need of safety. But that it, you're chasing the wrong thing. It's so thing, arbitrary. Right? Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah, no. Yeah, it's yeah, not to go all Buddhist, but get, you know, get there Buddhist. Is this Buddhist. <laughs> we love going a little Buddhish on the show. Um, there is this aphorism of don't confuse the finger pointing at the moon for the moon itself. Mm. And I think that's exactly what you're saying. 
Uh, it, not as eloquently, as, <laughs> as nicely, succinctly book. I always think of uh, Alan Watts has this line where he says, watch a baby try to poke the moon. Mm -hmm. and, <laughs> and just like, because mm -hmm. they're questioning how it works. They don't even, they think it's an, an, an actual object. Well, how did, because I think of the subjects that we're discussing and I think of Christopher Ryan's work, you know, in Tangentically Speaking, his podcast, which I voraciously consumed. And he's mm -hmm. such a He's, his mind is really interesting. He's just the way he wants to question things and think about things. And I love that your work is an, an alternate complementary and stands on its own in this other way of being able to explore this. And I'm curious, like what even brought you not just to the relationships that you experienced, but also to, Oh, we should actually do a, a podcast on this. Like, cause I would imagine, gosh, even the, pushback from monogamous people just to the idea of questioning, which always brings to me that they themselves are questioning it. And so by mm. so much like religion, right? If you're like, well, is God really real? And they're like, that's part of faith. And you're like, wait, um, so faith is not questioning. <laughs> so it's amazing how it all sets us up. So yeah, Jace, please. Yeah. I was going to say the fact that there was especially at the time that we started the podcast a lot more fear of that pushback than I think someone would have starting a podcast about it today is it was part of the reason why we wanted to make it in the first place was because we saw for ourselves there weren't resources at the time there was one podcast about polyamory that already existed which was polyamory weekly uh and they've been doing that podcast for forever it's kind of amazing um but you know we looked at that and they're like well they're kind of from an older generation than us they're approaching this a little bit mm -hmm. differently and they're the only one so we're like well what if we could bring something else to this and part of that also influenced our decision to use our actual names on the podcast which that other one again they started even earlier than we did they use pseudonyms for themselves on the show wow because they wanted to protect their professional lives, which is... Isn't that crazy? Yeah. It, it, well, it's like understandable because right. it, it really does, I think, matter even now in a lot of circles yeah. that you make it into. Right. You can lose your job. Totally. You can lose custody of kids, mm -hmm. things like that. These are real you know, worries that people have even today. Oh, isn't that show you just the bananas nature of the world? Like yeah. Yeah. if you question something, a traditional system... And you mm -hmm. think about it, like the wedding industry, the divorce industry, mm -hmm. they're industries, yep. and they are billion-dollar industries. And if something challenges that construct, which is also so overlapped with religion that yeah. you can't oh, – yeah. they're so hard to pull apart because deep in people's identities is these beliefs that are should be flexible. And the, the fact that they're not – you know, I always find when you question things like that or anything – that they cling tighter to it because of the fragility of their identity, which they'd rather just double down. And they're, they're almost willing to do anything to protect the untruth that they're standing upon. Mm. Yeah. I, I mean, fragility is a really good word for it. It always baffles me. Yeah. I really like that word fragility, but just the fragility of... <laughs> of the singular state-sanctioned relationship, yeah. right? Like, even if we think about that, there's one state-sanctioned relationship and, and that's it. Um, yeah. but I do want to include, though, to go back to our the podcast origin story, Emily, right at the top, mentioned, you know, a lot of people, when they get into non-monogamy and if it starts to work for them, they think, oh, I figured it out. <laughs> and we <laughs> certainly did. Way. This is the way. Everybody, <laughs> oh. come join. Yeah. Yes. Almost everyone seems to go through that phase 
We certainly <laughs> did. You know, we had started out as a quad, you know, and then we're a triad Wait, and we're also like dating a bunch of people. Yes, I'm not sorry. on not on the podcast. There were not but four of us, but in a relationship, yes. Jason yes. and I were in a monogamous relationship for a few years, then decided we would explore non-monogamy. Met Dedeker and her partner at the time, and then basically all started dating except for the two gentlemen. Yeah. And so then, you know, of course we would roll up to parties as a quad and think like, oh my God, like we have it all figured out. We're just so cool. I feel like there should just be like a bragging about our yeah, quad. Like staying alive like is playing as the <laughs> yeah, there, there was definitely some swagger for sure. And so so it was a combination of us kind of thinking, like, I think we've got some stuff figured out with we are a little frustrated that there's not more resources that we feel speak yeah. to us. Also combined with we're sick of explaining our relationship over and over and answering the same questions over and over. And so we may as well record stuff and put that out there. And so the podcast definitely started out in this place of the way that I tend to describe it is, oh, we got to come up with all the special polyamorous advice for the special polyamorous people and monogamous folks need not apply. This is a show for the polyamorous folk. And it really evolved and changed over time. You know, the relationship between the three of us changed. Our external relationships changed. Many of them ended. You know, Emily entered into a monogamous relationship. And so along with that, over time, also as we were looking at all of this relationship research, like stuff out of the Gottman Institute, for instance, and finding there's a lot of really, really good stuff here that is applicable to polyamorous folks. It kind of just needs to be translated a little bit. Mm, And also realizing... There's a lot of really wonderful community wisdom in the polyamorous and non-monogamous community, and it needs to be a little bit translated for the monogamous folks to be applicable. And so the show for us has really morphed over time into something where we're trying to create basically as inclusive of relationship advice as possible, because there is still quite a lot of, I think, self-segregation in this world in the sense that the monogamous folks or even folks who are practicing you know, monogamishness don't necessarily want to mingle with the polyamorous folks or feel like they're threatened or they're going to be convinced to or persuaded like, to Wait, I might monogamy. end up in a relationship with a bunch of people <laughs> yeah, if I go too far. You know, and a lot of the polyamorous or non-monogamous folks are like, ooh, toxic monogamy, like the the normies, we can't the hang normies. out with them. Like they don't have anything good for us. And so we've really what I think we collectively feel very passionate about over the past few years is trying to bridge that gap, right? And make it so that these two people on these two different sides of the spectrum aren't necessarily inherently threatened by each other or by acknowledging the existence existence mm. of each other and could even learn from each other. Being the bridge, like what a beautiful mm. thing to do, you know, and it requires that, like it requires the openness to all possibility. And, it, you know, when I consider all the things you're talking about, it's because I'm secure in my own relational choice, which I've allowed myself the flexibility to navigate and explore. And, you know, I'm 43 now. And it's like, I, I'm not threatened by the possibilities of your relationship, you know, but it's so interesting how when we may have just done what we were taught to do. And I think of, um, I remember having this awareness once where I was just like, there was something I had always wanted. And when I got to the moment of it, it was an engagement when I was 27. I realized when I got to it and I asked, I wasn't as excited as I thought I was going to be. And I've been struck many times in my life by a similar feeling 
which always expands your consciousness because really what it's doing is saying, ask different questions, step outside of mm. what you're taught to do. Because I realized like sometimes the dream you have is not the dream you have. Sometimes the dream you had is not the dream you have. And sometimes what you're taught to want is not what you actually want. And some of us will spend our whole lives actually staying in the narrative and then having to treat the pain of misalignment or just not listening or asking questions. Again, it doesn't have to be misalignment, but just the pain of, of, of not just acknowledging a feeling that says, maybe I just need to be curious about this choice or curious about this somatic response. And what I love about the conversations you're all having is that there is very much a non-judgmental, like see it as an adventure, see it as play, see it as possibility. Yeah, I was just going to say, we've had conversations before where, you know, maybe a marketing company or something is like, what is the audience? What is the demographic that, that you're looking for for your show? And our answer is always something along the lines of what you're just saying. It's like people who are willing to question their assumptions and willing to ask those deeper questions of like, what really do I want? What do I really believe? What is natural versus what could be better than what I've assumed? And then they give us sort of a blank stare and they're like, uh, well, good luck with that. <laughs> <laughs> like, God forbid you challenge people to do that. Right. <laughs> I don't know if you've heard the term, Mark, uh, the relationship escalator um, created by Amy Guerin, but that's no. kind of exactly what you were talking about is this idea that, you know, you you meet someone, maybe you move in with them, then you, you know, get engaged, get married, have children, and then die, you know, retire and die. And it's like this escalator that you go up and that is how the world works. And that's how relationships work. And if you're going to be in a successful one, then you need to be moving along that trajectory. Mm. And I love what you said that, you know, you, you got engaged or you asked the question and it, you realized like, that part of the escalator was not what you expected it to be. It didn't encompass those feelings that you wanted. And I know, I mean, Jace was in a similar position, much younger, but but also I think had similar feelings. And it's just interesting because again, when you start to question what is it that's really going to make me happy? What is it in this world that I really want to be doing and what types of relationships do I really want to be having and that they can look any way that you want them to and not just in that, you know, trajectory of what we all have believed for so long is the only way to do things. Well, it's also that idea of I'm putting my happiness onto some future state rather than focusing on what fulfills me and what makes me happy and feel safe right now. And, you know, we do it with everything, not just relationships. It's like, oh, well, once I get this promotion, like, then I'll be happy. I can be stressed now and unhappy. But once I get so there, true. or once I can buy a house, yeah. or once I can pay off my debt, or once I can buy a car, anything, right? Once I can get that new pair of shoes, <laughs> whatever it is, like, then I'll be happy. And we do that with our relationships, with that relationship escalator of we become more focused on hitting the next goal or wanting to hit the next goal than on what that actually means and why we want it and how to be happy in the relationships that we have. Well, in that space of asking the question that maybe causes us to pause, maybe causes us to slow down the momentum of creating a life that, you know, our anxiety or our, in the emotion we're experiencing is saying, just, just slow, slow down a little bit. And 
the level of complexity or I want to say probably feelings of shame that you don't want the thing that you're taught to want and also the excitement and anxiety of all the possibility. And I'm curious in your experience, maybe within your own selves, but also in the clients you've worked with, the people you've interviewed and all that, how does a person who's within a relational construct, because I would imagine it's harder to do it there than it is to invent through your own singledom, but with if you're in a relationship that's monogamous and you're listening to this and you listen to your podcast, you're asking this question, how do you even begin? I mean, you're probably silently Googling things first, but <laughs> maybe you play this podcast on, hey, thanks for playing us. You're on, hey, did you, we should listen to this podcast. I wonder what's on it today. Um, yeah, I'm curious your thoughts. Yeah, that's funny because I think we do sometimes encourage people or sometimes people are really drawn to so the sort of like sidestepping into the topic. And I think that's easier to do nowadays because the topic of non-monogamy comes up a lot more often in yeah. our media, whether it's a news article or whether it's even something that shows up in a Netflix drama, like we're presented with it a little bit more frequently than we used to even five, 10 years ago. So it's a little bit easier to sidle into whoa, what do you think about that that just happened? Like, would you ever be in an open relationship? I, You know, things like that. Um, but yeah, I mean, this is an area where a lot of people get really stuck because it can feel like opening a Pandora's box, mm -hmm. right? It can feel like, you know, you can't unring that bell once I've let my partner know, hey, I would maybe be open to the idea of non-monogamy or having multiple partners or things like that, that understandably, for some folks, hearing that from their partner could immediately be very threatening, mm -hmm. be very destabilizing. They could have a lot of questions, a lot of emotions come up, which is not a bad thing. It's not to say that it's bad if you feel that way, but that happens. That's one of the reasons why people will sit on these things for so long and be really terrified. But also, you know, I've definitely seen a lot of folks have really successful conversations. You know, ultimately, I think like you were talking about the the going slow with this process, not just with the process of opening up, if that's what you choose to do, but also with the process of inquiry and bringing your partner into that inquiry as well. You know, it, I think it really boils down to being able to, uh, to use an overused phrase, being able to speak your truth as well as be able to listen to your partner and be able to sit there with whatever the reaction is and be able to understand what comes up. And hopefully you have a partner who's also curious about where you're at, you know, mm. curious about what motivates you, what interests you, what your fantasies are, what your fears are, things like that. That's that's the ideal. And that seems like something that for a relationship that maybe people have forgotten to be curious about one another or forgotten to ask questions or forgotten um, uh, maybe taking each other for granted, but also forgotten about ourselves, you know, and then all of a sudden we're bringing this conversation in and these curiosities. And I, I think you make a really great point, Dedeker, where it's like when we bring that up, there might be a lot of, there it could possibly be reactivity to it. But either way, you know, I think of regardless of whether you communicate a truth, the truth exists. And so it's best to bring it forward, of course, in a world that doesn't necessarily celebrate, for example, a woman's needs in relationship in terms, and also challenges, and not to say men's needs are always, but let's be honest, most of the world has been structured around, around men's needs. And just even in the, the courageous nature it would take 
to ask that question. And even in the data on monogamy, this challenges everybody who hears it, but that women get bored with monogamy faster than men. And Mm -hmm. for the the narrative that we've created is that men stray, men just want to spread their seed. It's biological. You know, we don't think that like maybe women want to spread some stuff too. You know? like, <laughs> and I didn't mean that as a pun, but I'm just realizing how incredible of a pun that was. That was pretty good. <laughs> Divine providence. Just want to spread some jam on maybe the toast of more than one person. That's all. <laughs> right. uh, uh, yeah. I mean, <laughs> okay. So, so to go back to kind of looking at what would be some advice and some tips for someone who is kind of having these questions, but it, but it is scary. One one thing to just preface that with is, like we said earlier on, there's not just one like right form of non-monogamy and that it's not that this certain type of polyamory is the way to do relationships and it's going to solve all your problems. There are going to be a lot of people who try to talk to you like that's the truth. And so I say mm-hmm. just to kind of start that journey of learning about it with that understanding of just like you're going to find people who tell you this one way to do your relationship is going to solve all your problems like you never have dinner with any one of the opposite sex or like whatever their prescription is for like this is just right this is just how it works so we get that in monogamy just realize that in non-monogamy same thing applies people are going to have opinions and we try very hard to as we've been talking about bring together lots of different possibilities and encourage you to have those discussions and continue to evaluate it And as far as that goes, we have a tool that we created called Radar. And, you know, people at home can Google multi-amory radar and find our, you know, episode about it and some online resources. We'll put the link in. But basically, the short version of what it is, is a monthly relationship check-in. And it's kind of a framework for doing that. So it's not like we have to talk, but it's like, oh, no, we're going to do this thing regularly every month. We're going to talk about this set list of topics you know some are going to be fun maybe some are going to be heavy it might vary month to month but the advantage of having something like that in place for this type of we're going to start maybe shifting our relationship or at least exploring that possibility by having something regular like that you can say let's try this for a month and then we're going to check in instead of whatever we decide Mm, right now we're stuck this way forever right that it's not Mm. like a prescription like Oh, we chose it. Well, well, you said you wanted this and now you're saying you don't like what, you know, that's you got, you got to stick with it now, but instead Mm. it's build it around this idea of, okay, let's try things that we can come back from, you know, that we, we can see how that is and that we're not hurting other people in that process. Ideally, you don't want to just sort of use someone else to try it and then toss them to the side. If you don't like that, because other people's feelings are involved, but having some way of maybe it's just these baby steps of just for the next month, we're going to, talk about other people that we're attracted to or we're going to just talk with each other about what we think that might be like or even take a step back of for this next month let's try each pursuing some of our own hobbies a little more because we've maybe become Mm. so entwined with each other that i don't even know who i am without you and that's a pretty natural place to go and it's, it's a little bit romantic and can be fun but if we lose that too much that can be a problem as well. So it could also just be an opportunity to explore those things. And maybe you do that and you're like, holy crap, that's what we needed. We didn't even need to be non-monogamous. We just needed to get our own identities back, have some of our own friend groups, have some of our own hobbies. But it's that exploration is the key. That's beautiful. 
it shows you how much in relationship when we forget about ourselves, we are code. I mean, generally the model of relationship we're taught is codependency. Yeah. So, yeah. you know, like anything that re-individuates you or even celebrates you sharing what you need, want, prioritize, mm -hmm. adventure, all that stuff. Cause it's no shock that when you look at relational research, when you do new things with your partner and they knew new things with you on any spectrum, it's like you associate novelty with them. Mm -hmm. And that that's, I mean, truthfully, if you think about it logically, your partner's never the same person, but it's so fascinating that we think that way. Now, like I finished your sentences. Like, I think it's Chris Rock who's has a line where he's like, can you have some new shit happen? Like, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> <laughs> you know? uh -huh, yeah. Uh -huh. And you might find, but you can see, Sorry. Oh, sorry. Go ahead, Jace. And you might find that just doing that little bit of individuation might suddenly make you so hot for each other. Because it's like, this is the person I fell in love with in the first place because they were so sexy when they were doing their music or when they were writing or drawing yeah. or whatever it is. And they've stopped doing that because I don't do it. And so that even that alone might be this amazing, wow, this is so hot now. But you can see how I, I think that cultural pressure that pushes us towards codependence and pushes us towards that mind melding identity amalgamation in a long term monogamous relationship that sometimes when people who have been monogamous for a while decide to open up and go essentially cold turkey into, okay, well, my partner is going on a date and they're going to be out of the house for like six hours in the evening and like I haven't been I by the house in, by myself in the <laughs> evening in the house for like six years or whatever, that that's the stuff that sets oh, off yeah. that perceived safety mm -hmm. thing, right? Like when your nervous system is like, holy crap, you know, what is going on? This is all completely new, you know? And so that is some common advice out there for people who have been monogamous and are thinking of opening up is really your first step, maybe just a little bit of disentangling and mm. seeing what that produces and seeing how it feels to be a little bit more independent from each other. That's beautiful. The, okay. So I'm curious for you three, what has been like, when you think about creating the podcast and your identities and your experience of going from this quad to then navigate, navigating relationally, what have been some of the greatest challenges in terms of your own identities and relationally together uh, as you've navigated that? Oh, who's going to pick yeah. up that ball first? <laughs> right, right. Let's get I, this. I guess I can. Yeah. 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 I, yeah, I mean, when I started this podcast, I was in a relationship with Jason Dedeker and we were a triad. And that, you know, felt very much like my identity, I think, especially during that very kind of volatile time when we were in a quad and then a triad and and just polyamory sort of permeated every part of my life. And it's interesting because I've almost felt like I've disentangled from identity being that so much. And I sort of figured out exactly who I am as a person without needing to place a specific label on it, I guess. And, you know, I'm the, my current partner who I live with, we were polyamorous for a while and found over many years that it really didn't work for the type of entanglement that we were in. And it wasn't something that he was excited to pursue in a way that I was. And I think you know, so often we have to know that if we're going to be in a relationship with someone, we're choosing to do that every day. And so therefore, it, part of that may be if you choose to be in a relationship with someone, you choose to 
decide to do something together and that may not be non-monogamy anymore. And I think, yeah, so many of us, a lot of people, for some people, that may mean that you are going to be non-monogamous and you have to leave your partner. That wasn't what I chose. And honestly, the relationship that I'm in now is extremely great. It's It really works well for us. And it also uh, is just an adult relationship in a way that many of my past ones never were. It, it doesn't have that volatility, and that's really excellent. So yeah, and for me also, being with Jason Dedeker and learning how to function in a relationship with them and seeing them being very intimate at times and feeling my own sense of this is hard, this is you know challenging internally and learning to kind of do the inner work to figure out what is it there and how can I best you know live my life and my business life with the two of them, even though that is so challenging. And it's taken years, but I think the three of us now are in a place where we're closer than we ever have been. I mean, you know, I, I consider these two people my best friends and and probably know me more than just about anyone. So I think that's not a place that you get to easily, but I'm so glad that I have. Yeah, I I always joke that we identify as like we're like an emotional triad yeah. co-parenting a podcast baby together <laughs> I love with that. like maybe some business sprinkled on the top as well. Um yeah, I, I think as far as challenge challenges for me personally, a number of different challenges, you know, and I think Emily spoke to this is that just like life happens, even if you're producing a podcast, life still happens you know, relationship upset still happens. Relationship drama still happens. And, you know, the three of us over the course of the show, I think actually what helps, we don't spend a ton of time just like unpacking our own relationship shit necessarily. Like there are some podcasts out there like that, especially in the non-monogamy field, especially in the specifically the swinging field, because people are really titillated by someone getting on a microphone and talking about the orgy they had last weekend and stuff <laughs> like that. And we all love those stories, but you know, I, I think that, I don't know, like, I mean, I just went through a really big breakup at the beginning of the year and still got to record a podcast Damn. about relationships, you know, like sometimes when it's very, very painful, it does help that the three of us have a really close relationship and we've been able to hold each other sometimes literally or figuratively over the years as all these different difficult life things come up. Um, so I think that's one challenge. I think the other challenge is that like there's a like people on the internet have just like really really good opinions <laughs> and sometimes I just it's like so many good opinions get sent our way for, you know and like sometimes like it's a really a challenge to sort through all these really good opinions and ideas <laughs> that people have, you know, like I a little overwhelming know. at times. I, I'm sure you can relate, uh, Mark. Yeah. Yeah, I have a uh, what I would consider good opinions, you know, <laughs> but I recognize the human challenge of that, you know, that's part of, uh, as you have chosen to live out loud, but there's this, um, what I've learned too, at going through a breakup and then now we're back together. But when we went through the breakup, I was doing podcast episodes about what I was processing and you really recognize the value of a line between privacy and transparency too, for your own process. And I, part of my identity was so much about teaching through my own process, but also recognizing to create space for my own process, you know, that not everything has to be explored immediately. <laughs> um, mm -hmm. And you're right, the internet has 
many opinions, <laughs> some of higher value than others. <laughs> yes. Yeah. I, I think that for me, the the challenges that have come up, I mean, I think they're just sort of challenges of growing as a person, just in general. And I think that some of those have maybe been heightened by doing a podcast or that have kind of uh, been more, well, how do I say this? Like the growth has been accelerated somewhat by having multiple partners mm-hmm. at the same time. But I think a lot of that growth for me has been about other types of identity too. So not just, you know, identifying myself as, oh, I'm in this relationship and kind of moving away to just identifying myself as, as me. And I have these relationships, which are great and valuable, but they don't have to be the thing that defines me. But then it even goes broader than that into what's my definition for myself as a man and what is my sexuality and is there a label for it i'm not sure you know like that that kind of stuff like what's my comfort level with different labels with gender with how i've treated especially women in my life in the past and you know things that i wasn't aware of at the time and have learned it's sort of like confronting all of that and i think when you're in a podcast and you're talking to lots of people, that's one way, but also just being non-monogamous, especially if you're a man dating women, and I, I mostly date women, um, you get to hear all the stories and you get a lot more insights into some of the stuff that they experience if they're women who date men. Mm. And it's mm. a real eye-opening experience and not always an easy one. Um, and so I think that has been a big defining part of my process over the last few years has been that sort of push and pull between, you know, you see some guys who react to this knowledge in this defensive way of like, no, 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 don't tell me I'm the bad guy. Like I'm actually the one who's being oppressed here or something. You know, that's like, I got to defend myself or there's the ones you can go the other way of like, all men are terrible. I'm an awful, terrible monster and don't deserve to be on this earth. And it's, I've, I've, you know, wrestled with like, what's, how do you find a way that's, true and that's honest and that's ethical and healthy as a way of of dealing with those things and it's not just like oh, i'm gonna prove i'm good by tearing down everyone else or accusing everyone else of stuff or you know you see all these behaviors again largely online because we see everyone's behavior in a way that we didn't used to you know before everything was on social media so true yeah you know? it's interesting when we awaken to our choices behaviors relational habits patterns and you know i i uh relate a lot to what you're sharing because in creating new awarenesses, I had awarenesses about behaviors I previously had and the impact those behaviors have had on people, um, more specifically women I'd been in relationship with and to have grace for that, but also to grow from that and actually become, you know, I like to think of it as like stepping into the full, into integrity with my fullest potential and also repairing where needed. And I am curious probably because it's a projection of some of my own experience but i'm curious one have you have because i would imagine the people who have listened to your evolution as individuals and and it relationally too kind of idealize who you are or have this vision of who you are or um fall in love with the way it was or needs to be for them to maintain safety or whatever. And I'm curious what has been your experience with that? And 
offering yourself grace, but also has your audience generally offered you grace through this evolution? And, and I'm sure some have, but yeah. Yeah. So to clarify, are you speaking to like parasocial relationships? I'm speaking to like whatever that means for you. Do you want me to be more specific? Mm-hmm. No, no, no. That's fine. Uh, Jace, do you feel like you have something to jump in with? Uh, sure. Yeah. Um, it's interesting because I think there's that on a personal level and there's also that from a podcast level. And and again, yeah. our podcast, we don't talk a lot about our personal lives. You know, we'll we'll bring okay. up personal anecdotes that are relevant to things, but our podcast itself is more about looking at you know, communication techniques and research about relationships and how we can make this applicable to all sorts of different relationships instead of just the, you know, heterosexual college age students who are the participants in the study or whatever it is. <laughs> That's, that is so right. right. No one knows that bias <laughs> of like, oh, we try to point that out all the time. Yeah. Yet again, here's another like all white people, all, yeah. t- you know, 20 or whatever. Right. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. Right. Yeah. But so, you know, we, we try to make our show about that. So I think that as far as the public show, it's less about like that personal journey. But absolutely, there's been a journey for all three of us doing the podcast and learning that some things that we said that we were not even aware of maybe were were hurtful or marginalizing to certain people that were things that just are like normal stuff people say. And, you know, getting feedback about those, some in a really compassionate way and some in in that harsher, you're terrible because you said this thing kind of way. And we try to learn from all of those and understand that, you know, when people do have that more, um, you know, negative, hurtful way of sharing that, it's still coming from a place of pain and that they're wanting, you know, to to fix mm-hmm. something. And that's the way they know how to do it, at least in that moment. So we we try to be, you know, as compassionate as we can. But I definitely have noticed, you know, there's some people who have heard some of those things and just been like, nope, multi-emory's dead to me forever. And then there's other people, most people, I think, who've who've really stuck with us and seen that growth over time. So it's that has been a really interesting experience of being able to grow along with our community and them them helping us do that, especially the people who are, you know, able to offer us compassion along the way. I will say there was a Reddit post a few years ago where somebody was like, oh, Jason and Emily aren't together anymore. It made me really sad. And <laughs> I appreciated that. But yeah, I think uh, it's interesting because there was a point in time where I was like, shit, I I don't know if I can tell people that I'm monogamous now uh, because mm. that's so different from the way that we started this podcast. And am I like gonna you know people are gonna see me as a fraud or something because i'm no longer doing this thing that we started out as being our identity and it really hasn't been the case at all at least to my face or to people that i've met like people have generally been quite kind about it and i think as the show has evolved people have also seen that this can be applicable to so many different types of relationships and i'm struck by the amount of people who are monogamous or in a more traditional focused relationship that still find value in what we're talking about. And I love that. So I don't think that it, yeah, I think people for the most part have been very kind and understanding of our journey. And, and I think we've discussed so often how we are growing along with the audience that they are teaching us while we are teaching them. Mm. And the great thing 
that I've noticed over the years, because of, of course, you know, anyone who puts content out there on the internet, anyone who I think you called it is living out loud on the internet, essentially opens you up to every single opinion, criticism, judgment, feedback, both good and bad, both quality and not quality. And our experience has been, that, well, first of all, whenever we get any kind of feedback that maybe stings or is a criticism, it's really helpful that there's the three of us because <laughs> instead of just being one person, because if we get an email from someone and we read it, that we have the three of each other to sit and have that initial uh, nervous system, gut punch reaction, knee jerk reaction of what the, why did they say, oh, what the, this jerk, they don't know how like, we can kind of have that event session with each other. And then that enables us to then sit through and be like, okay, what was actually useful here in this person's feedback? You know what, actually this part, I think that makes sense. And I think we should take that to heart. And then once we all calm down, then somebody will respond to that person, you know, in a compassionate way, in a kind way. And what we found is pretty much every single time we've done that, like responded to somebody's comment in a kind way, responded to somebody's email in a kind way, the response they send back is incredibly effusive because people are just so primed, right? They're already expecting, even if I give gentle criticism or gentle feedback, that the response is either going to get ignored or it's going to be thrown back in my face, you know, that they're going to match fire with fire. And so, being able, at least I found with this audience that when we respond that way, people are often like, this is great. Like, I'm so glad that you responded. I'm so glad that you took the time to to even read my email and I love your show and it's fantastic. And these are, and then often they follow up with, and these are all the things I love about it, you know, after they've given the, the criticism. So I, I think I can appreciate that about our audience. Jace, I mean, I we could keep you. going on. I just wasn't sure if you wanted to move on. Yeah, sure. <laughs> no, 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 keep going. I think to go back to what you were sort of getting at before about with people kind of having this limited view and, you know, Dedeker said the parasocial relationship of this idea of, you know, when you listen to a podcast for a long time, you have this basically one-sided relationship with this. And we do it with celebrities and, you know, all sorts of stuff as well, you know, in, in movies and things like that. Um, but I think because of the very intimate nature of podcasts being so conversational, we really have that sense. Mm -hmm. I have that with podcasts I listen to of like, I feel like I really know yeah. these people, even though I don't actually, right? I, I don't know them. I've only listened to their podcast. Uh, I, I do think that it's something that we've kind of learned going into interactions of kind of setting that up right away and just kind of being like, mm. you know, hey, we, we're, this is a weird relationship. You've heard us talk about things like that a lot. I don't know anything about you. Um, you know, I, I'm probably not like you think I am on the show. You Maybe you have some idea about me that's different than it is. And that is a tricky thing to navigate. And I will say, um, has basically uh, shrunk our dating pool significantly. Because trying to date <laughs> someone who has that type of relationship with you already is just kind of asking for trouble in a way. You know, because they've got all these preconceived notions. There's a little bit of a power dynamic inherent in there. And so it's just something that we've learned, especially as the podcast has grown, that it's just better to avoid that when possible. And so that has really shrunk our dating pool within the non-monogamous world. Which is the irony, because I think when we first created the podcast, it was in the hopes of this will connect us to more people who think like us. <laughs> it has. And share the same relationship it values. And it definitely has. Now we just has. connect them all with each other <laughs> instead of with That's us. That's true. Yeah. We have right. created they, they all a lot date of relationships, other. which is great. <laughs> 
Oh my gosh. I can only imagine at events, like how many people I've met through that experience, but also the mutual curiosity. And what a beautiful thing to base any relationship upon, like what you're all speaking to. And my experience of having consumed some of your work before too, is that you're speaking to relational skills, not specific to structure of relationship. Like the success of every relationship will be influenced and contributed to and all that by all the things you speak about. And even just having the safety in a relationship to ask questions that threaten the relationships, again, quote unquote, safety. But if the question threatens the safety, is the safety really there? You know, like, does the relationship itself have the space to even ask questions? And I could say that for sure in my like 20s, and probably early thirties, that wouldn't have been true. You know, that like if a, a partner came to me and said, Hey, like, what do you think about open relationships? My fear of being rejected or abandoned or cheated on that was unprocessed and undealt with would have been brought forward immediately. Yeah. I really like that about questioning. I mean, is there even space to ask questions, maybe ask uncomfortable questions because, and to a certain extent, you know, it doesn't have to be the non-monogamy question. It could be, I'm really interested in, you know, doing this intensive in Florence because I've always wanted to be a painter and it's going to be six months and I'm going to be living outside the country. And I know we just bought a house together, but how do you feel about that? Mm -hmm. And again, for some people that would instantly be like, no, you can't do that. No, that's, there's no way this is going to work. No, we can't. And I mean, I think if something like that is a deal breaker for somebody, that's fine. That's not wrong. But it does mean like maybe that particular relationship may not be compatible in that particular way. But for other people, asking that question could be really exciting. Could be like, oh, wow, awesome. I mean, I'm going to miss you. That's probably going to be hard. But like, tell me about this dream of yours. What do I need to understand to know more about what's underneath this for you? What are you excited about? Okay, now let's talk about logistics and figure out how we'll make this work. And maybe I can share with you the things that I'm afraid of. Like, that, yeah, it's almost comes down to the microculture of the relationship of how much you can show up for each other as you're growing, as you're dreaming about different things, as you're getting vulnerable with each other about big things. Well, you know, I, do, I want to acknowledge you three. Jace, did you want to say No, something? no, no, no. Go ahead. You looked like you I'm were sorry. I was, no, you kind of stopped because my nose was itchy. I'm sorry. Yeah, you got to be sorry. careful. Okay, okay. You got to like lean out. <laughs> yeah, you got to really do that. Yeah, okay. Um, <laughs> I wanted. I want to acknowledge you for the courageous work that you've done. Just like with being willing to explore that, especially in, when you started. Like part of the reason the culture has changed is because of you. You know, like part of the reason the conversation has changed is because of you. And I think we often. Um, maybe you have our, like, can't see the credit that is really there, but you have really helped shift the, the fabric of these conversations by being willing to put your names on it. Like what a change of process that was like, that's a radically different. And I don't want to say more courageous, but a very courageous way of doing it. And, and given the previous circumstances, that was courageous to even start a podcast that was on a subject and even do it under pseudonyms, given the possible backlash. And even now how people love doxing people over everything, right. you know, so yeah. just to acknowledge you for that and to acknowledge you for your curiosity about your own identities, your own beliefs. And in doing that, you know, you really invite all of us to do that as well. And if you were to give 
like top three skills that someone would require in any relationship. And then maybe you could be one each. That'd be sweet. <laughs> and then um, the other one would be, what are the top podcast episodes of yours that you would recommend people start with? I know the radar one sounds, but let's get it maybe three others uh, that are maybe your favorites individually that really have transformed um, or like really changed, radically changed something for yourself. Wow. What a question, Mark. Uh, so, uh, okay. For my skill, um, I'm going to pick the skill of meta communication. And basically what that means is communicating about how you're communicating. So it's developing those skills to be able to say something like, I'm talking to you about how my day went. And what I really want is just your support. I don't really want advice about this. I just want you to kind of tell me that that I'm okay and that I'm going to get through this or something like that. Or on the opposite, it's like, I'm telling you about this thing that happened and I don't want you to feel bad for me. I just want your advice, right? You're kind of being able to get clearer on what you're looking for and then how to explicitly communicate that. Or, you know, even something like, I want to talk to you about this and I'm so nervous that I feel agitated and I want you to know that that's just a feeling I'm having and I'm not directing that at you. That's not my intention here. It's like those little things of being able to both be aware of yourself and your body and your emotions, as well as communicating about it explicitly and not just relying on them to pick up on your subtle nonverbal cues or something like that, but to to be explicit. So that, that's the skill I would pick. I think the skill that I would pick would be emotional honesty and responsibility. I'm kind of cheating and cramming too. <laughs> into one well, that's very smart. But, yeah. So, so it's like the courage to be vulnerable and being honest about what feelings are coming up for you and being able to communicate that to a partner in a gentle way. This is one I'm still working on, honestly, because it's hard to be honest about being sad or about being angry or ticked off or, you know, anything that, that you're feeling. And so I think that's huge in relationship. And then on top of it, taking responsibility for your emotions, right? And so that doesn't mean I'm ticked off and it's 100% your fault. You know, I can sit and I can take ownership of my emotions. I can express maybe, you know, the thing that triggered me or the thing that I noticed or the story that I told myself about what you did that then brought up this emotional reaction. But ultimately, my emotions are on me, not necessarily on you. Something we talk about so much on the show and that I feel I've really taken from non-monogamy is self-awareness and reflection internally, because uh, that's not something that I think many of us are taught in normal relationships. It's, you know, outward, not what's going on internally, not looking deeply into your past, really examining where specific bad habits or patterns or you know, decision-making processes that you do over and over again in your relationships, where those even come from. And I argue that to be good in relationships, you really, really need to dive deep within and figure out what it is, you know, why are we ticking in the way that we are doing this? And why do we continue to make the same patterns that are destructive to the relationship? And what is my responsibility in terms of that? And so, I think, yeah, in any relationship, you have to be so self-aware and you have to really make sure that you're vulnerable enough with yourself and with your partner to be able to express 
what it is that has happened to you in your life and really do the internal work of unpacking that. Beautiful. All right. Well, those are three things that we're all going <laughs> to, everyone's like, shit, I got some hefty homework. Yeah. On this episode. <laughs> but man, the transformation that comes from adopting any one of those three and in, you really can't adopt one without adopting all of them. So <laughs> that's a good. They all help facilitate uh, each other okay. for sure. Indeed. A hundred percent. Okay. Top episodes that you think people should start with of your podcast. Yeah. So for your convenience, listener at home, uh, we have uh, on our website, if you go to multiamory.com, up at the top, there's a link that says start here. And we have two different kind of collections of episodes to start with. One are just kind of general fundamental relationship episodes, you know, skills and things, some of which we've been talking about here um, and others kind of like basic things that we reference a lot on the show. And then we also have a section that's specifically if you're new to polyamory or non-monogamy. So kind of depending on what type of starting you're looking for. Um, But so, for example, on the non-monogamy ones, there's things like an episode about the science of jealousy or an episode about common misconceptions Mm -hmm. about polyamory um, or even a way to evaluate, like, is this really what I want? Am I ready for this? So it's those, you know, all sorts of things like that. Uh, and then the relationship fundamentals are things like, do you have rules in your relationship or do you have agreements and how are those different from boundaries and how do you make healthy boundaries or how do you meta communicate, how to do radar, which we mentioned earlier of having that regular check-in stuff like that. Yeah. I think the important takeaway that we want listeners to have is We've designed the show to be something you can kind of dip in and out of. You can go through our back catalog, pick the thing that resonates with you right in this moment. You don't need to be listening from the very, very beginning all the way through in order to be able to catch up. And that's a lot of episodes to listen to. And that's part of why we also created, um, if you listen to our episode zero or our first episode, we talk about the fundamentals. We talk about which episodes to start with so that you have at least a little bit of a landscape and know what we're talking about when we talk about radar or the Triforce of Communication or things like that. But then other than that, it's just kind of like follow your heart and let it guide you through our back catalog. I recommend the search feature on our site. Just search for a topic that you're interested in and episodes, because we put all our transcripts on our website. So it'll even search if we mention that inside an episode, even if the title isn't obvious that that's what it's about. I definitely recommend using that search feature. Additionally, we just turned in our manuscript to our editor of our book that is coming out someday. (laughs) Yes, we're still in the editing process for that, but we're super, super excited. It's essentially a collection of the tools that we have created. And then also it has a collection of tools that we use all the time that we talk about all the time on our podcast, things that have really resonated with us as well as a couple extra tidbit tools from us. So we're super, super excited for that to come out eventually. And we will let everyone know, hopefully, as soon as possible when it's going to drop. Awesome. People can go to multiemory.com slash book for more information. Awesome. Well, congrats on finishing a book. That's about one of the greatest projects in anyone's life. Oh, I feel like now we could write. Yes. uh, Yeah, that's the thing. Now we could write a whole other book about how to write with not just one other co author, but two (laughs) other co authors at the same time. Yeah, I feel like we could do an episode on how to run a business with 
exes and current partners, yeah. how to mm-hmm. even just run a business with someone you've been intimate with, because that can, yeah. it doesn't have to be ex-partner. We've, we've yes. run into uh, people at conferences who run a business together who've said, we use your relationship tools in our business meetings. And so it, it definitely applies to those places too. Yeah. Shows you like relational mastery in the romantic space, and which is obviously an ever evolving term and, and definition. But if you can do it there, you can do it anywhere. Like yeah. everything else is so easy compared <laughs> to the communication with intimacy and romance. Um, thank you so much for your time and just your willingness to just, again, live out loud and share and uh, it, it, entertain my uh, many questions. And for the people listening, where can they find more of you guys in terms of Instagram or any of the links? Yeah, you can find yeah. us. Oh, go for it, Dutta Okay, Emily, you take Sorry. it. Sorry. I was like, I'm the social media person. Yeah. No, it's fine. <laughs> <laughs> uh, you can find us on Instagram at multiamory underscore podcast. And we do updates with quotes from each of our episodes every single week. So that's kind of like a fun place to find teasers about episodes. Uh, also on Twitter at multiamory and Facebook at multiamory. Um, and then, yeah, wherever fine podcasts are sold and multiamory.com. <laughs> Perfect. All right. Well, thank you so much. Appreciate it. Thank you. Thank you. Thanks so much for tuning in to today's episode. If this episode resonated with you, one of the best ways to support the show is to go subscribe to the podcast so you don't miss any more. Leave a five-star review on Apple Podcasts or wherever you listen to it, or share the episode with your community on Instagram or whatever social place you like to hang out. This helps get it into more people's ears, and I'm so grateful for your support, always. Thanks again for tuning in. Much love.